This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. Now, obviously, the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world, and I have to deal with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh, and I'm just walking over Blackfriars Bridge on my way to the South Bank Centre. Um, has a more London sentence ever been spoken? I don't know. I still haven't quite got over the, gotten over the um, novelty of living in London, despite having been here for, for two years now. Um, I... I'm on my way to the South Bank Centre to have a meeting with the lighting designer and operator for my show, This Pooh Shall Pass, um, which oh, we'll wait for the siren. Which is happening um, as part of Vault Festival um, at the end of the month. Uh, link in description. I'm sorry that I keep advertising it to you. I imagine it's annoying because it's not Doctor Who related and some of you, lots of you, don't even live anywhere near London. Um, however, just be grateful I'm not advertising Squarespace to you or HelloFresh or The Economist or any kind of mattress. Um, that would be worse. Uh, anyway, this week on the podcast, I met up with Will Shaw, podcast regular, and Max Curtis, who has also um, appeared on the show before. Um, I met with them at Will's Flat. Um, just around the corner from me in London um, and we it's a very Lon- London centric intro isn't it um, and we had a conversation about Can You Hear Me um, the latest episode of Doctor Who series 12 we got into um, the major uh, parts of the discourse around the episode and I think we all had a similar view which was that we really admired um, various things about the story but um, found that it wasn't gelling with us for whatever reason. So we, we try and sort of give it an autopsy, I suppose, over the course of the hour. Uh, anyway, I will stop talking about that now and just uh, let you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Will Shaw and Max Curtis about Can You Hear Me? How are we all? I'm here with um, uh, Will Shaw. Hi, Will. Hello. I forgot your surname for a second then. <laughs> you all right, Will? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Will Shaw, uh, writer, essayist, um, opinion haver. <laughs> yeah, very flattering introduction. And uh, Max Curtis, uh, writer, essayist, opinion haver. Most of the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> both of you guys have been on my podcast before. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. And we're back. I, this is a quite intimidating way of presenting this, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite weird. Um, yeah. Great. We're here to talk about um, Can You Hear Me, which was a, an episode of Doctor Who that aired um, yesterday. Uh, and some people loved it. Some people had some issues with it. 
Um, what did we think? I'm going to start with Max because he's got a uh, a book full of notes. Ridiculous it's an amazing prop, listeners. <laughs> you know. Can I just start with the most nitpicky thing, just so I can get it out of the way? Yep, go for it. Um, because there's no point in this, but like the fingers in the episode. Oh, I love that. Oh, they're great. They're the wrong way around. Can I just say that? What do you mean? Like the fingers don't go nail first. You know what I mean? Like they go in backwards into people's heads. Do they? Yeah. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I that bothered me the whole episode. I'm sorry, this wasn't a picky thing, but like it's, it's this it's attention to detail, listeners, that you listen to these podcasts for. You know, <laughs> but like that's the fear of um, the beautifully named Zelen, like putting his fingers into people's heads. Like that's a mm. such a scary image. But like I don't have any fear of someone putting their finger backwards into my head personally. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, because that wouldn't ordinarily be possible, right? Yeah, well, ordinarily. There's um. There's a thing kids do. You'll have heard of this, Will. I don't know, Max, whether it's made it across the pond, um, but it's called Wet Willy. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, we've got that. You've got that? We've got that. Yeah, so for, for the uninitiated, uh, it's where a child will uh, lick or suck their finger, index finger normally, mm-hmm. and then stick it into the ear of another child and say, Wet Willy. And when I was watching, that was all I could think of. I think you should have done that. You should have gotten Ian Gelder uh, <laughs> licking his finger. <laughs> and he should have said Wet Willy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we, uh, yeah, can we hear some, yeah. some more pressing views on the episode, Max? <laughs> yeah, I think um, my basic takeaway is it's the kind of Doctor Who that I absolutely love. And so I did actually really enjoy the episode. Um, I think I feel like that. Yeah, like beforehand it was the one that i've been most excited for um probably the most excited i've been for an episode since like it takes you away what made you excited about it from the pre like from the promotion i think just having an episode that is so dark and focused on the kind of like nightmarish side of doctor who like uh-huh. everything going back from like the mind robber to you know listen and the god complex those kinds of episodes are th- I don't know, that's just sort of like this kind of little corner of Doctor Who that I absolutely love. It's a very nice evocative title. It's like... Sorry. Is that Zelen? <laughs> this is actually S- terrifying. Somebody at the door. Who who was it? Will? Someone from another flat. Oh my god! <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> this is fully staying in, no question. Will's furious, everyone. There's no such thing as bogeymen. Wait, hang on. I don't understand. They live in another flat. Why have they run the doorbell for this flat? Oh, uh, okay. Are we in the nightmare now? I'm sorry, what? I, I'm half expecting Ian Gelder to walk in. <laughs> um, that, I mean, Max and I should give up at that point. <laughs> a much better guest. Um, um, but I was saying, like, it yes, Can You Hear Me is like it takes you away. It's a very nice evocative Yes, it reminded title. me of that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the first question mark ever in a Doctor Who title. Is trivia there? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the episode is, like, the kind of Doctor Who that I really love, but, like, it doesn't do anything that I wasn't really expecting. Like, mm-hmm. I was actually getting really excited. I think about, like, 18 minutes through when we finally get to the plot. You know, like, they're on the <laughs> spaceship, and everyone's had their little nightmares, and I feel like, ooh, what's this? Like, this really weird little situation. The the planet's colliding. No idea what's happening. And then it kind of just, I don't know, like, it, it does sort of what you'd expect based on the premise anyway. It doesn't ever escalate into this, like, I don't know, darker, moodier, or more surreal 
thing like I was expecting. Yeah, it, it does kind of fizzle out. And there's a sense that that there's it, the story kind of ends and then there's an extra 10 minutes where they do character stuff. Mm. And it feels it feels it's a really hard one because a, a lot of that stuff's really nice. But then it feels like it's to the detriment of the the plot itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the thing is, in the God Complex, for instance, which I've rewatched because of this episode, that has a very similar thing. Like, that episode is resolved, I think, at the same exact, like, moment. Right. Like, time-wise. Mm-hmm. But then the thing is that all of the stuff that happens in the God Complex at the very end mm-hmm. directly relates to the actual, like, plot and character arcs in the story. Yeah. Whereas with this one, because it's not, like, Yaz's or Ryan's or Graham's emotional journeys actually affect the plot, because the mm, doctor just kind of mm. like finds the ball again and traps them yeah, again. Yeah. It doesn't, all that stuff does feel more tacked on, whereas it, it doesn't feel so organic y- to the story the right. way the other ones do. Do, do. You, do you think it would have would have helped to to maybe have focused the story on one of the companions, to, to, to have maybe had Yaz's element of it be the whole thing and not to have bothered with, uh, you know, Graham's uh, cancer subplot and Ryan's, uh, or you know whichever one you you go for. Well, I feel there's, like a, there's a story. There's, a, there's an obvious model here, which is a story that lets you do both, which is Amy's choice. And Amy's choice True, is yeah. you know, um, well it's it's two it's two scenarios, but one is you know a, the scenario Amy wants, the other is the one Rory wants. Mm. But mm. because as, as seems to be like a trend in Chibnall, everything's so like. Everything's like it's like Tupperware. Everything's weirdly separated out, or like or like <laughs> airplane right, yeah. food. Everything's so co- compartmentalized that um, so like the main plot. I felt like the main plot and the you know the character bits, the sort of both were working against each other because yeah. Also, they we didn't they didn't combine or add up. Yeah, we'll get we'll way. get to positivity in a minute. But the <laughs> there's, a, there's a weird <laughs> element in that. There's a there's a there's a big chibnalism in in that there's a, a fourth companion in the story, for what Why? what appears to be no real. Re- she wasn't a bad character or anything. I didn't I didn't hate the character. I actually quite liked the scenes at the start in Aleppo. I thought mm. they were quite cool, but also. Why is that character there? Yeah, it's she's like about like the third or fourth character this series where you feel like she should almost replace the companions. Like, give me a series of like Ada Lovelace, yeah. Tesla, and <laughs> yes. um, also, Tahira. Also, it feels odd that it's. It feels odd that it's um, to 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 draw an even more obscure comparison. It's like um, you know, in Kinder, when uh, the start of the episode is Nissa needs to sleep. Yeah, and then yeah, later yeah. on in the episode, they introduce a whole other thing of Tegan falling asleep, mm. and thing, things attacking her. It's really odd. Like it's a it's an episode about the companions' nightmares, but we bring in a whole different character with a whole different set of nightmares in mm. order to resolve the plot. It's just very strange. Like That's so wha- true. Why couldn't Yaz or Ryan or Graham like have dream up those dream up the weird weird monsters shouty yeah. given things. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and th- which would fit the model of something like a, like a listen or an Amy's choice or an edge of destruction a lot more because those are more like companion centric stories. It's sort of them trapped in a place mm-hmm. um, and that's another chibnalism which is the whole TARDIS travel between multiple different locations thing that this mm. episode maybe mm. didn't necessarily need I yeah don't know. The, the, the sense of place I think it's I think the sense of place has been lacking in a lot of the Chibnall the Chibnall years but um, so far but uh, yeah the sense of place was really weak it's sort of you know nightmarish gods from the tenth dimension, and they live on the same generic looking plastic spaceship that every monster lives in in Doctor Who. It's true, and you, you know. can do things so cheaply that make them look like they're in a different 
you, you know, all it takes is to make the background just black or white. Uh, well, and I that would be cooler. I, mm. the thing, the funny thing was, um, I, I watched the Moffat and Gatiss Dracula immediately after this. Mm. Uh, the final episode of that has some problems, but the bits where you see like the realm of Dracula's mind and it's all these beautiful like backlit gothic scenery True. just yeah, in yeah, the yeah, studio yeah. set. You know, Doctor Who doesn't necessarily have that much money, but something along those lines would be a lot more evocative and it's interesting true. than, you know, the set from the Horns of Nymon. Yeah, <laughs> you can do you can do lights and stuff and you can Does the <laughs> Dracula show have um those weird like sloth monkey things in this one? <laughs> they were all Fair right. Fair point. Fair point. What <laughs> were their names again? I don't know. <laughs> they, but they, I, I don't get why they needed names. Well they're they're like nightmare that. they're they're creatures from um Tahira? Yeah, her, from her imagination. Like, I don't think they have a name. No. Um, but they do have a name. I feel like oh, they were given they? a name, yeah. though. I actually did write it down. It's Chagaska. <sighs> why, did, why do they have a name? I don't know. Why do they? Like, this is something that of I have course, a real... That's such a Chibnall era name. Yeah, Just, everything has yeah. a kind of very strange name this series. Whereas the dregs, actually, best name. Really good name. Because yeah, 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 yeah. like the something would work much better here. This episode... I don't know. That's one of my like really minor nitpicky things. But like names of characters and um, monsters, like for instance the um, the other not guardian character. Like I completely forget her name all the time. It was. Um, I, I forgot they gave. I forgot they gave those two names. You know? Well, he's Zelen, and she's Zelen's um, okay. Yeah, and he's yeah. she's Rakaya, which Rikaya. I don't think is even said in the episode. Is it not? I mean, I don't remember. <laughs> That, yeah, well, how, how do you know it then? The thing is, he puts it's in the credits. He puts, oh, right, um, of course. Si- like uh, syllables together, and he puts like um, uh, phonemes together that would never ordinarily go together. Mm. It's like Ranscor Avkolos was yeah. so hard to remember because they had phonemes that would never normally. I what was I eating the weekend? I was eating <laughs> a no. This is relevant. I was eating a curry, and I had something a dish called an alu um, a- a- alu bangan. And it's taken me mm. so long to remember the name of it. And I realized the reason was that Bangana is just not two phonemes that we would ordinarily put next to each other in a word. Not in English, anyway. Not in English. Perhaps in uh, in whatever language that originates from. Well, there's a kind of like weird quasi-Orientalism to this. Which yeah, is when you make up alien names that vaguely sound like which Middle is a bit gross. or South Asian But also, places. it's kind of hard to remember as well. Like, what would you say? Rikaya? Was that it? Yeah, Rikaya. Oh, well, I did it that time. But it's, it's like your... Yeah, it's like he's just cut a load of words up mm. and put them together in a sort of Dardarist fashion. Yeah, and like Zelen, I don't mind so much, but it's really noticeable when you put it next to these really evocative names like the Guardians or the Toymaker or whatever. Like, it's also just I, you know, it did make me sorely, re- sorely miss, and it also it made me realize how much I was missing it in the Moffat years too. Is Russell T Davies' great ability at the alien names of Balhoon? Yeah, just these amazing like rhythmic woman wept. Yeah, these amazing ryth- rhythmic. Ty- rhythmic evocative titles also very good on the, very good on the, the long <laughs> lo- long vowel sounds are also really nice yeah. the, you know chibnalls are all consonants but you know the slivine yeah it's the true oud, you know just but like chibnalls are all consonants because it's uh, because again it's got an orientalist flavor to it, <laughs> it like, what is the kasavin it's very kasavin i kind of yeah. like that one though it's okay <laughs> yeah but um, it's sort of meant to sound like you know it's vaguely Sort of vaguely East European, vaguely Russian, just it's just vague. And so they leave a very vague impression, you know. Some things I did like. Should we do that? Yes. I feel mm. we I feel we've gotten very deep already. Got off in a fad <laughs> forever. Okay, so th- some stuff I did like. So my over- overall takeaway was about fifteen minutes in, so my girlfriend was half watching it and was kind of walking around in the room half watching it. And she said, This seems quite good. 
And I said, it mm. is quite good. And the first 50, like, it, it starts off really well. Mm. And then I, it got to the end and I was and I was sitting there thinking, that's my highlight of the season. And then I, th- then I was like, so why do I not feel like it's my highlight of the season? Mm. So, like, everything I'd seen play out, it should be my highlight of the season. But it was so deeply underwhelming. Is this the positive section? Do you know <laughs> do you know what I mean? But this is this was my take this is my takeaway. Yeah. Some of the things I did like about it though that that contributed to that sense that it should be my highlight of the season. Mm. I really liked um is it Ian Gelder? Yeah. I really liked his performance. I thought it was really good. He was yeah, amazing. It's not bad. I, you know. I really liked the imagery of his fingers coming off his hand. That's I think so good. That's I think it's so doctor. I thought it was so creepy. Well, it's mm. great. It's pre watershed Freddy Krueger. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers mm. hanging in a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, it was horrifying. The, the, the beginning was so horrifying. The bit where Ryan's friend, whose name I forget, is it Tebow? Tebow. Tebow asks Ryan, can you stay here tonight? Like, it, that was so frightening to see, like, mm. an adult ask another adult, like, can you stay and look after me because I'm so scared. And he was saying, oh, mm. I see him in the corridor. I see him looking at... Cor- that was but really, also by really the end scary. of the episode, it's really heartwarming. The idea that they have that kind of friendship. That, that, yeah, that's really nice. Their, their dynamic is, one of, one of I feel, one of the... One of one of the quiet standout things. Yeah, for the it it does wonders for Ryan's character, to be honest. Um, I I I really quite like the stuff with um the flashbacks of Yaz. I thought that was believable. Mm. Um, I thought it was. I just wish we'd had it a year ago, to <laughs> be honest. Well, this very much feels like a kind of late series eleven story. It even like kind of calls back to all the Sheffield scenes and Arachnids in the UK. It's true. Yeah, you're right. And I, what else did I like? I liked um, the animated section as much as it was kind of abrupt and mm. weird and a, a way of spitting the exposition out. I thought it was brave to attempt something it's like an animated section, like something we'd never had before mm. in a Doctor Who story. The, I thought the that's the sort of thing we should be doing. It's like the sort of, uh, you know, sort of the extended epilogue. It's sort of, it's, I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of either, but I, li- I really liked the... Uh, Sort of demonstrates a sort of a willingness to be flexible with the format of the form of Doctor Who. Yeah, piece it, of it, television, you know, it reminded me of, um, you know, in Harry Potter when they yeah the tale of the three uh, brothers. Yeah, they the tell Harry the Potter tale movie. of the three brothers, and it's all done in animation, and it's like a very stylized kind of animation. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that. I thought it was yeah a really clever way of of exposition dump because look, Chibnall's weakness is that he can't expedi- exposition dump with the finesse that either Davies or Moffat could, could do. I mean, mm. they're both kings of exposition, Moffat slightly more than Davies. Mm. And so he has to find these other ways of exposition dumping dumping in ways that don't bore the audience. Mm. So that he can he does things like getting John Barrowman to do it. He does <laughs> things like um, sticking these animated section, this animated section in. And I think that's actually pretty cool and pretty brave i like it can i also just say that i think the animator is called um nina chakrabarty i think she okay. posted this on instagram but like the drawings are absolutely incredible in that scene um and i think it was also animated by whatever new effects house they have um but it was just i thought it was absolutely beautiful as well and it was a really bold idea i do think it would have been better if it had been the start of the episode like oh that's true and then we called back to it later yeah that's true yeah, i think it would have been, been a much cooler opening and also I really love that there's a cold open again, but it did kind of feel a bit out of place, and it was. It felt like why? Because it was no like. There's been other times. What did we? What happened? Um, last week, yeah. So when we were watching Praxis last week, mm. I was watching it with my friend Connor, um, who's been on the podcast in the past, and uh, there's that scene where um, Ryan like comes over the top of the of the hill and yeah. he, like says something, 
and Connor went credits mm. at that point. And there's, there's lots and there's of p- points like one that of those moments Doom. in every single episode where yeah. you're like, the credits should be there, and it's yet we've it was, already it was, had it was the, the ca- It was the case in series eleven as well. There yeah. are lots mm. of scenes that like this is clearly a cold open. Why yeah. is it not or in front of the credits? Tesla so, but having like the Doctor burst in yeah, that yeah. felt like a mm. felt like th- that felt like the credits. But it's like, so if you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. I get it. But like, why would you? do it randomly this week it was like really well i think it's because bizarre. in part it's weird because like in series 11 not having a title sequence was the marker of like a prestige episode right mm. and this year it feels like having a credit sequence is the prestige or not ha- not having a credit sequence having a pre-titles and then yeah. credits that's sort of like the mark of a prestige episode from like Spyfall to this because this is obviously supposed to be their kind of like they're you know, arty, they're arty yeah, the arty kind of episode, thing. the kind yeah. of like the blink or the it takes you away of the series. Yeah, speaking speaking of you know uh, of of that sort of state of the episode, uh, we've talked to, we've talked a fair bit about Chibnall. Like I feel we've talked about Charlene. Oh James, yeah, true, of know, course, um, yeah. Um. So yeah, so um. Yeah, well, you we read can talk a little bit later about the about the the way these co-writer credits are happening this year because I'm confused by them. Uh, yes, but, that's um, probably that's probably worth chatting about. But, but it is, yeah, let's it is do nice Charlene James first of all. Charlene James. Um, one of the things that sort of ca- started to come out in the late in the very late Moffat years and sort of seems to be having a bit of a resurgence now is this like just stealing great talent from the world of theatre. Mm. Just uh, mm. Charlene James, very acclaimed sort of. Uh, I don't know if, don't know if it's appropriate to say she's up and coming, but like a very acclaimed uh, playwright. Mm. Yeah. You read one of her plays, right? Uh, I did read. Uh, well, I read a couple of things she'd written in in, in preparation for for this, but uh, yeah. So I Homework. feel her. her she, you know. It's hard to say what she brought to it, brought to something that's clearly a co-write, you know, is uh, and you know that sort of archaeology isn't necessarily very helpful. But it's uh, like reading her existing plays; she was a very intelligent choice for the episode, which is about individual psychology and nightmares. And uh, the device of um, the device of the fifty pounds and the fifty p that felt that felt very theatrical in a nice way. Like one of the, one of the it things did, you're right. Yeah, one of the things I really liked about uh series 11 was that it was willing to be relatively small scale and theatrical in stages, like mm. the things mm. like the uh the epilogue of Rosa with the doctor just sort of giving a fun little history lecture or, you know, Demons of the Punjab, which is mainly set in the scenes of Demons of the Punjab which are just sitting uh within the ha- sitting in the small houses. And yeah, this You this know what, even mm. something like the animated sequence is even though obviously that's something that you you know, you couldn't really do in theatre, mm. it the equivalent in theatre would be um now it's a dance sequence or now it's a piece of um ensemble um physical theatre. It was very mm. like th- finding ways to exp- Theatre is often about finding ways to express things in a in an alternative way. It really reminded mm. me of like a piece of physical theatre that would happen. Or it's like a messenger speech in sort of early modern theatre, like you know, um, someone coming on stage and describing how brilliant the battle Macbeth was in. You know, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we're saying is that they should have had a dance sequence in this episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all Doctor Who episodes would be improved with dance. Sequences. Yeah, the Doctor <laughs> should have done the tap dancing that she talks about uh, at yes. one point in the Chagaskas episode. Yes, wave your hands in the air. All these, <laughs> all these, squ- all these quirky skills she keeps claiming to have. Let's 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 demonstrate them. But yeah, the. Uh, and Charlene James, I feel, um, yeah, I feel she was definitely a very intelligent choice for this, and I feel uh, for this assignment, I should say. And uh, it's you know hard to say what she necessarily brought to the table, but um, like in terms of specific script elements. But mm. uh, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard with these co-writing credits, isn't it, to do that kind of as you say archaeology. Yeah. Oh, I feel the opposite actually. I feel like there's so much in this episode that you can feel in the f- like f- like an echo of the first draft. 
don't okay. know. Like, way? so for instance, um, like, wha- for instance, why are there two planets? And I think that actually like speaks to the episode's themes. So like the whole thing of like the two planets that come together and they smash this random lady, um, <laughs> you know, between them. Like I feel like that is supposed to be saying something about like the answer to mental health is like people being there for each other and like. Well, there's a very ni- there's a very nice way in which the monsters are keep keeping the planets apart. You know, mm. um, you know, in, in the way that. Uh, you know, it's implied that the the gods are sort of feeding on isolated people because we yeah. never we never see because all the people we see are affected by it as in some way lonely or worried or you know in some way isolated. Yeah, um, although I feel like part of the episode, partly the episode, was trying to say everybody is lonely and isolated or is worried about mm. something. I don't feel like there's a person that you could. I think you could apply this episode's treatment to any person in 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 fiction or in real life and and get some mm. kernel of of some kind of nightmare sequence out of it which is part mm-hmm. of the the beauty and the detriment of it which is that like it's so non-specific that it means you can apply it to so many different situations and it does it applies to like four or five different characters mm, mm. own mental health problems but then it's not really dealing with any one specific mental health problem and obviously there's no like better version of that it's just a kind of like choice that we're not used to in this sort of tv i don't know i feel i would appreciate it i, I would appreciate i would appreciate a bit more specificity like one of the things that one of the things i uh, talked about in, in when i did the roundtable blog about last week was i appreciated praxius in comparison to orphan 55 because praxius was about a specific thing like microplastics as opposed to just climate change generally i would have mm. appreciated maybe maybe if the episode was about a specific character Perhaps, I mean, the most obvious candidate is Yaz because she's, you know, sort of probably gets the most substantial stuff in the sort of extended epilogue. If the whole episode had been, if we'd had a whole episode about Yaz's nightmares, I think that's what I, w- I would want. Cutting yeah. between three sets of nightmares, o- although it felt a bit more developed. Weirdly, Graham, I'll get to Graham later because I, I want to have quite a big conversation about Graham, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like Graham maybe suits it thematically more because the villains in the story are these immortal creatures mm-hmm. and graham's concern is for his mortality mm. so i think that's what i mean about how like i feel the influence of charlene james that feels very like spectral i feel <laughs> the, the ghost <laughs> of charlene james in this script she, she's trapped between two planets and is yeah. reaching out to you you know <laughs> as we as we chat here but like i don't know i feel it a lot more whereas like last week i it felt sort of all pete mctigue so if chibnall did a lot of rewrites on that he did a really good job of doing it in pete's voice whereas with this one i don't know like like Things like the um, Zelen calling himself like a mirror of the Doctor. They even have like the line like, you know, we're, they almost say like, you know, you are no different from me it's or whatever. It's very like Toby Whithouse. <laughs> yeah. So like, but it's, you know, the idea of like the Except Doctor. scorn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the God of Complex is really similar. But, um, but Zelen and the Doctor being mirrors of each other isn't really developed, but it feels like something that someone did think through at some stage because the idea of them both being characters who like, revel and play around in nightmares like there is something really interesting there and who find you know and and who find humans you know interesting like that and like, a bit of a game right yeah like i think it's interesting that um he uh, uh zelin says the humans are pathetic um which obviously has you know the more uh, you know means you know pitiful or you know uh, unworthy but uh, also has the uh, the more classical meaning which is eliciting pathos so 
the do- you know go- going to humans because they make you feel things and make you care. That kind of is the doctor's motivation. Mm. That kind of is mm. why she hangs around with that's humans. That's true. Mm. Another and nitpicky thing for me is though the bit where he like announces who he is and he's like. Um, the what is it? But the he doesn't actually say his own name. No, well, <laughs> Zelen, he doesn't have like a cool name. But um, he says like the Eternals have their games. The Guardians fight over whatever. I see things as a game. That kind of jarred <laughs> to me. Yeah, it was a bit. Um, it it was a bit like let me explain everything that's going on. Mm. But, but he also he, a lot of people thought he was an Eternal. Without any explanation. Yeah, it, it was, was just, it was really you know. weird. And also like, if you're gonna re- if you're gonna go to the to the effort of referencing all these random um, Doctor Who um, uh, immortal characters that have, that have not been in it for 40 or 50 years, then I just think, well, why not just make him a Guardian? Mm. Like, if you're going to talk about the Guardians, then it would be so easy to be like, yeah, I'm the Black Guardian. And mm. the one trapped in the, in the, between the planets is the White Guardian or whatever. Like, it, it would be... That doesn't really need... Like, Black Guardian, White Guardian is such a... Um, a simple thing. It would mm. not be confusing for the audience. It's I also just such commonplace science fiction doc. Exactly. Yeah. Know. It's just like why? Why not? If you're going to reference that, why not just have that? Because he was kind of just a copy of something like the Black Guardian, anyway. So mm. it, that seemed like an odd choice. Yeah, odd choices. Like I, I think I feel like we're emerging from this conversation. It's like a very nice, interesting theatrical sensibility, and like lots of interesting thematic stuff, sort of buried under a deluge of sort of odd choices. Mm. Um, mm. And I think that's like, and I suspect like the differences in reaction is sort of like it's a Rorschach test. You know, I think I suspect I and I suspect a lot of and I suspect the three of us. Uh, sort of gravitate towards we see the odd choices whereas a lot of other people see the sort of the interesting thematic stuff that's going on there um which you know it's and you know that's that's obviously good for good for them <laughs> but, um, well should we know. talk about why the episode feels like a bit of a mess when it really shouldn't yes i'm also interested just just to, to lay down a market like i'll be interested to talk about the episode's relationship to mental health which is sort of oh, simultaneously yeah. good and also infuriating <laughs> Yeah, it seems like like it was weird for me because I I watched it and didn't really think about that part of it, and then I went away and went on Twitter today, and everyone was saying, "Oh, Doctor Who did a mental health episode," mm. and I was like, "Oh, did it?" <laughs> and and <laughs> like when I thought about it, I was like, "Oh, I suppose that was the brief," but it didn't. I don't know. I felt I, mm. I felt actually that it got away with yeah. not letting me know that that was. But maybe that's because I've got so many mental health well problems myself that mm. I saw it as. I just saw it as an, an accurate reflection of what life is like for people. I don't well, know. I, I, w- I was clued in by the. I watched it on broadcast, so the uh, you know the the BBC helpline that flashed up right. at the end. Yeah. See, I watched you it know. about a couple of hours after it had been on, so I didn't see that. Mm. We should probably preface this with saying that, like, if this episode is something that really speaks to people, I personally feel like I can't deny that experience if you know what i mean yeah like yeah we don't want to piss on anyone's chips that Abs- yeah, that's another way of putting not, it you know. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah because like for me it didn't quite work for me but i think for anyone that this did absolutely you know work for and like really spoke to them i don't know i feel like i i sort of feel like a mean person um ragging on this episode in particular but it's a bit like the about a bit like off of 55 in a way in that mm. like Okay, sometimes it was a bit ham-fisted, but like, don't dare say that Doctor Who shouldn't be tackling this. Oh, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And it was yeah. like, I I respect it for mm. for tackling. And actually, I think it ta- this tackled mental health a bit better than 
Orphan 55 tackled the climate crisis. Absolutely. Um, also, can I just say, I saw there was a thing on, um, I think the Telegraph reviews, I don't know if you saw this, of this episode, not specifically about mental health, but um, the way it was received on the right. Like, um, they said something like, uh, the fact that Graham has like a disabled friend and a black friend very nearly careens into like PC territory or something. I saw this online and they were saying that it was like almost funny how woke that got that Graham had. Yeah, that Graham has mildly diverse friends. Like, yeah, who, it was like who have like a total of two lines each. You know? Yeah. Like also, like what I don't know. Like, it yeah, it just seemed very odd to it's me. It's also Graham. Literally, his wife was a black woman. I feel like he would probably have black friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's, it, was, it was very odd to me that people even noticed that. I didn't even think about it until until I saw it pointed out. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that guy was disabled and that guy was black. And I, I'm, not, I'm not being like, I don't see color or anything. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It just didn't, didn't even register my mind. sort of significant, I guess. Yeah, because you know? Doctor Who's such a, um, a diverse show anyway. There's often people of color in Doctor Who. There's often disabled people in Doctor Who and... Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think twice about it. Mm. And I sort of have, the, I sort of have the pessimist attitude that if the reactionary media, so if the Telegraph and the Spectator and whatever are gonna accuse you of being woke far left propaganda, why not just go the Andrew Cartmel route and be <laughs> woke far left propaganda? Yeah, yeah, true, yeah. true. <laughs> 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 uh, you, you were, yeah, you were I have saying so many things I want to say about this episode. I can't figure out what I want to say first. Um, what were you saying before we? Uh, oh well, yeah. Well, so this episode for me, like. I don't know, part of my thing is, like, all the pieces are there. It does all the things I want it to do. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, all the stuff about mental health. The individual stories, I think, are absolutely brilliant. Like, I genuinely really love all the stuff they do with Yaz and the 50P, mm-hmm. or Graham dealing with um, s- lingering anxieties over cancer, or Ryan being there for a friend. Well, that one's kind of weird, because it doesn't really connect to Ryan specifically. It's more, Ryan has a friend this is happening to, unlike yeah, the other two. Th- 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 but that's Ra- okay, Ra- I think. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's just different. Yeah, Ryan's subplot is like the thing, the f- the thing that this series has struggled with, which is it sort of, you know, it it I think it pretty explicitly ties his fear to climate change because he's terrified of the dregs and the world being literally on fire. Yeah, that's true. But Do you think he's going to become a climate activist like he's the new I Joe? I hope so, or or you know, Ace or someone like you know, he's going to go off and be a CEO. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he, he's gonna no, he's going to go and do something worthwhile with his life. He's going <laughs> to go off and do something at the end of the season, I think. I don't mm. think Ryan's sticking... I don't know about the other two. I don't think Ryan's sticking around. I think that that is the show planting the seed of this guy's a bit done with this now. I suspect Yaz is as well. You know, the, the Potentially. Policeman. I suspect she's going to go and finish her police training. Mm. Yeah, potentially. You know. But this is part of what the episode struggled with to me, which is, first of all, the fact that, like we have all these really great stories that deal with genuinely incredible and difficult struggles that people have with mental health, right? But the characters don't really do anything as a result of that, if you see what I mean. I'm trying to tread lightly here. But, like, things in Chibnall episodes often kind of happen to characters. Mm -hmm. It's not like characters do something to the narrative. Um, And that's okay in this context because it is a mental health story. It's not like your struggles with mental health have to make you like defeat the bad guys in the end. That would be a, maybe a little bit too on the nose, but like for instance, Yaz, like in this story, does she do anything that she wouldn't have done otherwise? Cause she does go to the cop who helped her, but like, but she, goes she was going to go anyway. Surely. She goes after the story is resolved. So yeah. It's sort of, 
Well, and she was supposed to go anyway because three years were up. So it, mm. you don't get the sense that like she was struggling with whether or not to go. Mm. And then the the story makes her decide to go. It's very. It's like it's like they're two. It's like they're sort of parallel tracks that we just sort of jump between. It's sort of it's it's very much. This is something that I found in a lot of episodes. Like now we're doing the big exciting adventure thing, and now we're doing the quiet character thing, mm. and now mm. we're doing the back to the adventure thing. And whereas this is making you'd want me, yeah. them intertwined, surely. Well, like a hybrid. like in Vincent and the Doctor. Yes, this is making me think about Vincent and the Doctor now. Mm. But the other Doctor Who story about mental illness, and that I mean, in that it's perfectly woven into the into the narrative, like this, like the story. You know, there's a version of Can You Hear Me that is not about mental illness. I think mm. I think you could do it and have it be a, a kind of schlocky thing about I nightmares. I think we're, we're back to what I said about specificity. Yeah, you know, I don't think you can do Vincent and the Doctor and not have it be about mental illness. Well, I think that's partially because the story isn't a hundred percent sure about what it wants to be. Is it about mental health, nightmares, or trauma? And those are slightly different they're things. Sort of related mm. but distinct, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, they're it's really true. related. But like, and as a result, like the nightmares, the way that they sort of materialize in the story, they're sort of like immaterial and inconsistent. Like, is Zelen like is his power to bring nightmares to life? Is it to steal nightmares to feed his friend? Like. It's not kind of clear what his yet or no, what, what what the purpose of all of those different contradictory ideas is. Yeah, there's a sort of ambiguity as to whether he's creating the nightmares or sort of exploiting the nightmares that people are already having. I think it's implied with um, Ryan's friend that he's gone after someone who is vulnerable and is in some way exacerbating, like giving him nightmares. Mm. Um, but it then seems odd because he then seems to be feeding nightmares to someone else. You yeah, know, and so it kind of conflates like the specificity of a specific nightmare like in the god complex you have these specific worst fears that you have with something that's more generic or not generic more general like mental illness and mm. those aren't quite or, the same or like a, a scary gibbon yeah <laughs> what like it, that seems completely at odds with the deep dark mm. fears of the other characters that this girl is scared of a, a, a furry gibbon especially because Tahira has some genuine trauma which is that she, her parents died and she yeah, had to flee true. to a, a, a strange so city so why is the scariest thing to her a gibbon yeah <laughs> it would have been something if say she you saw like drawings that she'd made or something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it, I don't get where that comes from and then when you have like oh these are the Chagaska that feels like are, are they real are they like aliens that's like, true I, I, I'm confused by the fact they have a name well, yeah. that's confusing I, I, to me yeah I, I, I sort of I wrote a little bit about this is sort of I think you can you can make it add up to an interesting reading about mental health which is well not necessarily about mental health but you can make it add up to an interesting reading that this idea that um, the god people are you know are sort of exacerbating exacerbating the problem of nightmares and then exploiting that for their own for their own ends and you know there are there are things in this world that you know make the world a terrifying scary unhealthy place to be and then exploit exploit the fact that people uh, are made sick by it. suffering yeah yeah absolutely and then but the end of the episode is you know is sort of owning is owning those monsters and turning them against turning them against the thing, making the monsters yours again as opposed to somebody else's. You know, but then the taking taking back the monsters. Yeah, pointing um. the finger back at the. But then the issue is that <laughs> absolutely they don't. There's no like real character choices going on there. Like Tahira conquers her own fear. They literally say that she literally conquers her but own. But we fear. don't see her. When there are no scenes. We just say she's conquered no, it. The doctor kind of goes, "Oh, she's." you mm. can do that now we've controlled it or we figured out how this world works but she doesn't really come to any sort of decision and similarly with like again with like Graham um, I, I guess we'll talk about later like 
things happen to him. He's kind of like reminded of his trauma. But it's not the same thing as kind of being confronted with it or confronted with a new That's choice. It. It's something that, an, yeah, it's somebody who's gone through a lot of kind of shit stuff with their mental health. It's something that really annoys me about things that depict mental illness is it's always a, a really sanitized version of mental illness. So like the guy, I think it was Paul Lang on Twitter that pointed out Ryan's friend's flat. It's like the, the, the symptom of his depression is that like he's left a couple of bowls out. Like mm. the level of mess is so low. It's so low. Like it's not, it's, it's also not a very, it's a surprisingly bad. chic flat, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, he gets a bit shirty with Ryan and he and he looks a bit down. Mm. And Yaz, you know, was ran away from home years ago and now she's over it and actually we we see her brought Ryan by a single conversation. Well and we, we also we also yeah. we don't see her, you know, I mean this this is a cliche in itself. We don't see her on a cliff edge or on top of a building. We see her just next to a rope. Next to a rope, sure. countryside. Maybe it would be you too know. much to show something like that in Doctor Who. But yeah, I suspect there's a degree of hand-holding that has to happen just for the sake of the kids. It's true. I just, watching. yeah. But I agree that it is sanitised. Like, what would have happened if, you know, Ryan's friend was yelling at him and screaming to get him to go away? Yeah, or exactly. Like that. You exactly. Know, you could do it in a way that, you know, a kid might, you know, really be moved by. Mm. But this, as you say, it is very sanitised. It's very... Is, is another I, in a way that Vincent and the Doctor isn't. No, that's very yeah. not. That's very absolutely. Although have. that's kind of a bleak story because it's like, you know, we gave this man everything and he killed himself anyway. Do you know what I mean? Which mm. is quite. It's quite a, a. It's an amazing story, but it's quite a rough reading. Whereas this seemed to be going for a, reach out if you've got mental health problems. Which yeah, which and I think like again, yeah. this is stuff happening to characters because what's great about Vincent and the Doctor is, you kind of put the Doctor in a situation where they can't do anything. It mm. puts these stories in impossible situations. Mm. And then the whole point of that is that, no, sometimes you can't really deal with depression, but that doesn't mean you can't like be there for someone. There weren't, you know, good times along with the bad or whatever, mm. you know, all those different points of the episode. Whereas with this one, there's not as much of a sense of like, I don't know, like what the characters themselves are actually going through. Like Yaz has kind of already gone through this difficulty and it's lingering, but it's not like, she's still haunted by this in a material way, like, because we haven't seen it for 17 episodes. Yeah, it's very odd. Just, also, I, I, one thing, possibly I'm just I'm just a bit slow, but what was the occasion that her and her sister were celebrating? Yeah, I don't understand. Because I thought it, it, it seemed implied that it was the anniversary of something. I think it was the anniversary but of her running away from home and they were checking in on her. Right. Sure why that you seems would. a bit of an... Well, it seems a also bit an odd. An anniversary. Seems, seems a bit odd to do that but also have only one member of Yas's family there to actually well, I think celebrate. Her parents her. were there, but she'd gotten there late, was the thing. So her parents had already left. Yeah, but, right. but she said their parents had gone away for the weekend, like they'd gone to Whitby for the weekend. Oh. Excellent Yorkshire shout-out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. S- sort of shoots that in the foot if that's what they were going for. Yeah, the, the, yeah. again, it's all these odd choices kind of piling up mm-hmm. mm. on each other. Sort of I don't know. There's a lot of mess obscuring, like, the really good stuff about this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because it's the episode is about trauma and not actual drama that comes from that. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's your soundbite. That's that's good. Yeah, that it's yeah, just it's about stuff that people are already over. Mm-hmm. Unless it's unless it's Gibbons, in which, which case <laughs> they can get over it. Which I'm is not over Gibbons. Easily. I'm not over it, mate. Which is sort of like there are ways to do that interestingly in Doctor Who. Warriors Gate springs to mind, but like 
this wasn't that you know like it's the idea of that it's drama about something that's already happened is sort of it's fundamentally undramatic so you've kind of got to make the story about that also yeah something else i've seen pointed out online is i'm just thinking about like the characters tackling stuff in the present as opposed to in the past is that we've dealt a lot this year and last about graham's trauma about having lost grace and graham you know um it, it has been confronted with images of Grace. He's confronted with images of her in around it in the UK. He's confronted with images of her again in it takes you in takes you away. And then again this week, Ryan was raised by Grace. It's really really odd that we never see um, Ryan's response to having lost Grace. It's very. This isn't discrediting Graham's relationship with her, but also, I don't know. It it seems like they've forgotten that Ryan. That she's Ryan's grandmother. Yeah, it's very odd. And was a, and was a parental figure to him. Yeah, and it's it's odd that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Graham and Ryan don't share many scenes about her, because like because that's that feels like that's that's you know that's a scene that it feels like that's this a is scene at the start of Year Eleven though. Uh, right. Year Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> it feels feels like they had that's those. That's your nightmare. Yeah, feels like uh, th- they had those scenes at the start of Year. Uh, Series <laughs> at the start of series eleven, do you mean Molly? <laughs> it feels like they had those scenes at the start of series eleven though. Like mm-hmm. there's bits like that in um in the ghost monument they have little conversations like that. But there's um, no there's no checking in. Yeah, but this, this would be the perfect and, and episode this year, for. It's been like it's it's almost yeah, it's almost as if they've forgotten that it's Ryan's issue as well. Pa- and it's I just think like it's Graham's wife. It's also they've forgotten that Graham is Ryan's granddad. Like I think if you just tuned in for year twelve, um you would be like totally forgiven for not realizing that they're actually related. But perhaps if the episode yeah. had like ended with heart to heart between the two companions while the other one was out on an errand of personal significance, we could have had a scene where the two companions talk about their relationship to Grace, who's also in the episode. Yeah, but it would have been so easy to make that happen <laughs> as well. Can I also just say my um, my mother watches Doctor Who religiously. Right, she's done since the seventies, and she had this really weird suggestion that she thinks that Graham should just like stay on the TARDIS like K nine. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the TARDIS lounge singer. That's be great. so great. Like, she'll just open the door every few episodes and be like, yep, stay in there, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Should we talk about that Graham scene? Okay, let's Wait, get to uh, it. Which one? The, there's the, been the hospital? No, no. The, the Graham scene at the, the end. The Graham scene that all the discourse has been surrounding, which is when he Has that, goes and confides in the Doctor at the end. Capital D discourse. And, <laughs> oh she, and she essentially says, oh, I don't know what to say to you, Graham. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm a bit socially awkward. Oh, I'm just gonna go and stand over here. And some people have taken a, a, a issue, uh, taken issue with it because they've said the Doctor should have should have said something to him in that scene, and it was uncharacteristic of the Doctor to um, to yeah not give him the support he needed. And some people have really connected to it on both sides. Um, and I didn't hate it like some people did. I think the dialogue maybe needed a bit of. A uh, bit of sanding around the edges. I thought maybe the performances needed a bit of sanding around the edges, but I actually think, you know what? If someone came to me and said, "Molly, I don't know what to do. I'm keep worrying that my cancer is going to come back and it's frightening me to death," I wouldn't know what to say to them either. And I think actually, of all the characters in the narrative, the Doctor's the least equipped to deal with that because she's a fictional 
children's story hero who whose story goes on forever and who is never going to die of cancer. It's, it's a really human problem that she can't relate to. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wasn't a fan of... Uh, now you say it, I remember that scene. I, rem- I think the bit that annoys me is like the, the nitpicky thing, which is like you know she just says she's socially she she conveys the fact that she's socially awkward by saying i'm socially awkward which on the one hand is itself awkward but you know capaldi Tennant, matt smith were you know mm. and jodie whittaker is an actor of a caliber she can just you know cut the line i'm socially awkward if she just says i don't know what to say i'm going to go over here and then think of something later. yeah yeah on its own that's quite a nice sentiment if you just cut that i, I, I mm. like mm. my inner editor i could feel like a red pen waiting to strike out that scene yeah well, we, that's can often a she, we can see she's so socially awkward yeah yeah and that's a problem know. with chibnall line like i feel like that was it's a, chibnall it's, thing. A, it's a chibnall character thing you state it, the character it's, rather it's than the master demonstrating it it's telling instead of showing. Well, and also there's always like an extra line that you don't necessarily need. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the master that. saying that there's a cockpit bomb when, when there's just been a shot of the cockpit bomb in Spyfall. Yeah. It's that again, but like it's worse because it's a, it's in a scene where every line of dialogue really counts in terms of how your audience is going to, mm. what your audience can take away from the scene. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, and it's also, it's also, I wonder, I wonder if um, to what extent the hand of, Charlene James is in there because there's a really memorable bit in her play Cutting It where uh, it's a two-hander so it's a bad relationship between two characters and they're without wanting to spoil or get into some like very very heavy stuff uh, there's a point where two characters who initially were sort of warming to each other and becoming friends one person says something that the other person like so so viscerally objects to that Mm -hmm. she suddenly she has nothing to say to them to, to, she has nothing to say to the other person, and I feel this is this is not dissimilar. That's like not a, not a dissimilar moment, mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. dramatically. Just the idea that there's something so big, it's so fundamental a difference between two people mm. that the doctor feels she can't say anything. That's that's a really powerful sort of dramatic idea. Yeah, it's really it's a really it's on the page. I think that's a really nice scene. With, with with some judicious, uh, you know, tipex. Yeah. Also, I don't feel like Bradley Walsh was playing it as the Doctor letting him down. I felt like Bradley Walsh in this scene, and this is something I struggle with as a person. Bradley Walsh, um, as Graham, wanted to offload on somebody, and he s- and he said it, and he couldn't say those because the way he plays it is actually really lovely. At the start of the scene, he he reads it all in an almost whisper. He like doesn't want to say the word cancer, and he doesn't want to say any of it because so Yaz and uh, Ryan are kind of six feet away, and he doesn't want them to overhear when they're behind that pillar. I guess. Yeah. Oh, is that is that where they are? I, I think yeah, so. It's I where mean, they oh, are okay. I thought they weren't it. They weren't Which there? Which doesn't make sense because I guess the TARDIS. You uh, I can't. I can't actually remember if we don't just, uh, or is it a case that they have that conversation one on one and then they cut to a bit later? Yeah, I feel like it's a bit late. I don't know. But anyway, anyway, the doctor's in the Mo- background. Anyway. Molly, you were saying whatever. Uh, Bradley Walsh. Yeah, he Bradley Walsh promises is lovely there because he's he's reading it in a normalist whisper. Um, as if the biggest thing about it is not what the doctor says to him, it's the fact that he's expressing that fear at all. So she's helped him by even just being there and, and hearing what he's saying. And I think it's actually an interesting character study of the doctor that it, she it, it, she's motivated by her desire to fix everything. So she so she she thinks that what Graham wants from her is is a is a solution. Mm-hmm. And she knows she can't offer that, and that's why she's like, oh, "I'm socially awkward. I'm going to move over here. I'm going to do this." 
when actually that he doesn't need that. He just needed her to be there and listen. And that's like an issue I have when sometimes people are, are venting to me about something they're struggling with. And I'm one of these people who wants to offer them the solution to their problem. And I, I, I have moments like that. Yeah, and they can't, and they don't, they don't need that for me. They just need me to mm. there's a there famous that, acknowledge that problem. There's a famous scene in Parks and Rec, I think, where right. um, there's like a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and the boyfriend's always saying, um, like, oh, you have this problem. Let me solve this for you. Have yes, you thought about doing me. this? Have you thought about doing that? And then she just sort of, the, the moral of the episode is sometimes you just have to say, oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. But And I can't relate to that because I am somebody that if I tell you about something shit that's happening to me or like uh, that, that I'm having a bad time or whatever, I want you to solve my problem. And if you say, that sucks or oh, that's really bad, I'll just go, yeah, duh. <laughs> like it's like... <laughs> That would that to me would be incredibly an incredibly or like if you say to me it's going to be okay, I would find that incre- incredibly frustrating. I'd be like, how is it going to be okay? But some people just want to hear it's going to be okay as a platitude. And mm. I feel and I feel that sort of the difference between what the two people want out of that conversation, that's sort of what the episode is getting at. It's can mm. you hear me? Is like, you know the. the the bridge of understanding between people yeah how it's really effing hard to cross you know that's that's like the thematic heart of the definitely episode, you know and, and everyone was saying you know well a lot of people were saying on twitter the doctor should have done this the doctor should have said that she couldn't think of it and it's like should have given him a hug yeah, should have given him a hug should have done this and i'm thinking well but the doctor's not a hugger maybe but maybe <laughs> she should have but also like you know you try being in that situation where somebody shares something as big as that with you like sometimes it's not mm. easy sometimes you when people have shared stuff like that with me, I don't go, come here, pal. Yeah, like, I don't know what to say in those situations. And and the doctor, I think it's weird that we're, ex- that in, I feel like in this era more than any other, we're expecting the doctor to be like a weird, like sort of perfect person. Mm-hmm. And that's not who the doctor is. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Now, you, now, now, now we've talked about this. It's interesting that we um, discussed it with, uh, what's his name? Is it a, a Tobin? Uh um, Tebow? Tebow, sorry, cut that out. It's interesting you say, um, now, now, we've, now we've said this, it, it's interesting that um, a couple of doors down from that in terms of scene is um, Tebow's trip to a therapy group, you know, and yeah. like to play editor for a minute, how interesting would it have been if we had cut from this, this scene of, you know, the TARDIS team or fam not understanding each other to that very nice sort of moment of connection mm. between mm. Uh, when... He sort of says says his piece about going to meet a cashier, and the guy says it's not just you. That mm. would have been. I feel that might. That was a nice scene, actually. That might have been a nice grace note. I'm a bit. I went a bit okay, boomer, at the thing about automated cashiers, but um, it was. Yeah, I don't know. I fundamentally, a really nice sort of. Yeah, it was lovely. Moment of connection is the moment where someone is actually heard, which mm-hmm. might have been. Yeah, it, might, it, it is a nice grace note that this here for the story to sort of end on. Mm. It, those scenes really lead into each other, interestingly, if you think about it, because like the first one with Tebow, the scene is basically saying you need other people because maybe they'll be able to talk you through the situation and they'll listen to you, you know, hence the title, Can You Hear Me? Mm-hmm. Then the second scene is kind of like with Yaz, where she even says, I don't want your speech. And um, the cop is just sort of there for her. She don't have to say 
anything particular. You just have to kind of like give people these assurances that like things will be better. In a very practical way. In yeah. Hard cash. Yeah. yeah. It's like talk and then practical. <laughs> 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 and then you get the scene of um, for, with Graham, with the doctor, and that's almost trying to say, you know, even if you can't give sort of practical reassurance or any sort of big speech, you can just kind of be there for someone as a friend, knowing that you've heard them. Um, but I think, I don't know, for me, in context, I did sort of struggle with that scene because I completely, 100% acknowledged the point about this sort of, I guess you could say, autistic version of the Doctor. I think that's a really compelling take. I think... A version of, the, sorry to interrupt you, but a version of the Doctor that nobody had a problem with when it was played by Peter Capaldi. Which Absolutely. Which is quite a weird <laughs> thing, is that there's scenes in, in um, Series 9 of... Clara's made the doctor um, cards to read from in, mm. in situations like this one. You know, there's there's lines like um, she cares, so I don't have to. And yeah. no one objected to that when it yeah. was a when yeah. it was a, well, a man in his well, 50s. Well, and there's also the fact that, you know, uh, you know, in, in connection with the gendered aspect of it, those are like very flippant, whereas this tries to make something of tries yeah, to make a more sure. like earnest sort of character be out of the fact that the doctor is like that. Mm. You know? I do mm. think, though, there are some things that explain why the scene didn't work for people like for instance uh, there's the bit where graham says oh i'm glad we've had this chat and i do think that bradley, Wal bradley walsh does that scene really beautifully mm. but that line makes it sound like he's being a bit sarcastic when i think what he the line was meant to be was i'm genuinely really glad we've had this yeah, chat, maybe. even if you can't say anything. maybe or maybe it's him maybe he is being sarcastic but he's just or but he's he, trying to he's flipping he's, he's like trying flipping, to, and he's, he's not letting his guard down and he's acknowledging that actually Maybe the chat hasn't helped him that much because you know what? He's scared that he's going to die of cancer, and there's probably not a lot people can say to help him in that situation. Mm. And I think you can read. Maybe Graham's going to die of cancer at the end of the season, and that's really going to be the, uh, the worst, the worst hack, yeah, hack, yeah. hackney <laughs> note in Doctor Who history. Well, we did already have um, the Doctor say "bon voyage" to a woman who was going to head off to the Holocaust. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Wor worse than that, bon chance. Oh yeah, that was it. Good luck, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know grim. <laughs> yeah, true. But I I suspect the timeless child resolution will be worse than whatever they do with Graham. Because oh. because that's and that's what the Doctor most fears apparently is because we get that dream sequence. Of yeah, true. The Doctor's fear is the big towery thing and the, mm, the she's terrified child. of plot arcs. <laughs> Yeah, she's terrified of a, of Chibnall season finale. <laughs> <laughs> That's well what scares it, her most of all. The thing it reminded me of was, you know, those like sort of flashback cutaways in series two of Torchwood to, you know, Captain It Jack's is like childhood. that with his little brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, w I, s I wonder if it'll be, does the Doctor have a little sister that she's, you know, let go of her hand for a minute and, <laughs> you know, became the master or something. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, the look on Molly's face is... <laughs> She's like imploded. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Um, but about about the scene, I think sure. I would like to say, I mean, like, I think it would have been better, for instance, if it had kind of like petered out or if, the, if that scene had been the end of the episode. Um, because I think having it then be this little scene with Ryan and Yaz, which was quite lovely, but... In that order, it doesn't quite work for me. And then also just the fact that, like, then the doctor's like, "Oh, anyway, Frankenstein." Feels a bit gauche to put a sort of and next step next time, sort of. Yeah, adding thing. in a next <laughs> time. It does, doesn't it? But especially <laughs> you know. when Graham's fear is like the body horror of your your own body basically eating itself alive, and then it's like Frankenstein. That is quite a like a I don't know. It's quite a bum note. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that's reaching slightly. Maybe. But I but I, I know what you mean about it being a bit gauche to, mm-hmm. to go from... It's like what they wisely chose not to do at the end of Journey's End, you know, in the writer's tale where... Mm. Oh, yeah, with the Cybermen. Yeah, it's, on the, it's on the deleted scenes DVD. Yeah, yeah, originally the Cybermen come into the TARDIS at the end of that story and interrupt the Doctor's wallowing mm. and Ben Cook um, wisely said, no, that doesn't work because we need to hang in this moment a bit longer because uh, that you know that's the part of the drama of the episode and mm-hmm. he was right mm-hmm. and i think that's true here as well where it's like actually we could have done with letting that breathe a bit more i don't know yeah and yeah. also i think connecting it to the doctor having an actual like character arc in this episode because like say with amy's choice or the god complex there are actual like relationships between the characters going on like the doctor struggle in those episodes are things like him almost like monopolizing Amy's life and future mm, or mm. Um, I don't know, just him having the literal God complex in that episode. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in this one, it's not really clear what, again, like what the episode actually does for her, how it changes her, because you could have a sort of story of, for instance, um, like the doctor, not quite being able to solve her companion's problems and feeling like they're kind of drifting away from her and wanting to go back home more. And, and she could have re- got defensive about that. Wouldn't it have been amazing if we'd had maybe a scene where, and I hate this this line, of this kind of criticism where people say, oh, wouldn't it be great if the episode had done yeah, this completely sort of different armchair, thing? Armchair editor. It should have been written by me. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, wouldn't it have been great if the companions had come to the Doctor with all these problems? She's having her own shit that's going on. She can't really offer them because of who she is, she can't really offer them uh, solutions to these very real, very heavy drama, very human problems. So she lashes out. It's like, get out of my TARDIS. You know, I've got to... J- and, and maybe it wouldn't have worked. Maybe it would have been... I feel been like that's quite the extreme. It would have been a bit, a bit Chris Nolan or something. But <laughs> it, it, you, I feel like, let's, dr- let's, you know, drive this Doctor to, to some extremes a bit more. Well, I don't know, because like, I don't think it necessarily has to be more like capital D dramatic, mm. but I do think it has to have some kind of like lowercase d drama of like, mm. for instance, maybe the story would start with us realizing the doctor feels like she can't really solve their problems or, you know, really like empathize with she's their... A, because she's a children's adventure character uh, yeah, who's stuck, 900 stuck years in old. a Chris Chibnall um, police procedural drama. Yeah. Perhaps she's deliberately landed the TARDIS late so they all miss their appointment. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe she keeps trying to get them to go on more and more adventures so they won't eventually arrive home properly. But then maybe the end of the episode could be her coming to realize you know, maybe she can't solve the problems. Maybe she can't connect with them on that level, but that's okay because they're still friends or something along those lines. Like if that scene had been the culmination of some sort of character arc in the episode, yeah, I think it would have been a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. It does often feel though, like with some of these characters that they are kind of broad church characters that Doctor Who has been dumped in and not, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that works in series one mm-hmm. when you drop the Doctor in EastEnders. Because it's a but genre. Yeah, but somehow it feels odd here, doesn't it? It feels like I think I think it doesn't help that because in series one, when the Doctor is dropped in EastEnders, but the Doctor like reacts to EastEnders and changes, the Doctor, the Doctor now feels oddly static, mm. but mm. so does the rest of the cast. So everyone just feels, ev- everything feels quite static, and we've had to resort to blowing up Gallifrey again to try and to try and get things moving. Well, yeah, and I think I think it's a li- deliberate choice that the Doctor is static. I, I had a chat with Pencil Bandit about this mm. in my Nikola Tesla episode, but. Moffat's doctor is is somebody for whom the doctor is a is a goal and there and the and the doc and this character is aspiring to that goal of it's being a the role doctor. they're playing. Yeah, exactly. It? That's not Chibnall's doctor. Chibnall's doctor is 
is more of a a stock a stock character, right? Well, what I mean, you know, so but we, that's okay. But but what is it? What is that character? This is the thing, because like you know, the idea that the Doctor is this sort of performative figure in Moffat too, and I guess in you know in Davies who this idea that he's this traumatized, you know, lonely god. For all we make fun of that phrase, it's like a take. Whereas I'm still not sure what exactly Chibnall's take, capital T take on the Doctor is necessarily. There's lots of like. I don't int- think he's interested in having it. I think he accepts the Doctor as one of the pillars of the story, and I don't think he feels the need to interrogate that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think though there is some sort of take that you can see bubbling up sometimes. Like series eleven, I think she did have a genuinely original take on the Doctor, which is someone who's just a hundred percent joyful about traveling. Which doesn't quite necessarily work with the aesthetic they're going for, the kind of like Sheffield realism, Mm. but it does sort of work on a certain level. And this series, I feel like the take is she's this joyful traveler who keeps getting burdened with like, (laughs) you know, Doctor Who arc stuff. She's annoyed. She's as annoyed by the deep floor as we are. But I think that's genuinely (laughs) it. I think she's genuinely like almost frustrated with like the master popping up and another mystery doctor popping up and that kind of stuff. Like it's true. You're right. You're right. It's spoiling her, her fun or her 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 vibe. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, 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 Killing her vibe. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's Harshing true. Harshing her buzz. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of these problems to me come with the fact that yet again this series, the companions are incredibly like segmented in different mm. uh, times. I just remembered what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Do right. carry on. Well, so like, for instance, I really wanted more like character connection stuff. Like you mentioned before about it's Ryan and Graham. It's again, you know. Yeah. The, uh, the Tupperwares again. <laughs> Yeah, like you don't feel like they go back to the same Sheffield. Like they just go to, you know, if they'd have been in three different cities, it wouldn't particularly matter because their lives don't actually interconnect, despite the fact that Graham is Ryan's, like, I don't know, legal guardian? How old is he? Um, But he's 19. Oh, that's true. Not that you Um, know. But, like, I don't know. There's no real connection to what, like, the doctor having any particular interest in their struggles or Yaz having anything to do with Ryan's struggles. And so because of that, you get these super segmented plot lines where they kind of individually deal with their own traumas. And it's kind of weird because I think the episode is going for mental health is something that requires, like, socialness. It requires other people to lean on and to talk to and stuff like that. And yet then the episode also structurally compartmentalizes you into different people you have to talk to. Yeah, it's it's the isolation because it talks about, and maybe this is a, a, an aspect of co-writers not being on the same page, but it's the, you know... The, the nightmare gods prey on isolation and fear, but all the character work, not just in this episode, but the whole series has basically happened in isolation. So the episode is giving with one hand and taking with the other. Mm. You know, it's in a very Chibnall way. And it means know. that you get this kind of problem of um, like escalation, I think, as you were talking about earlier, which is the fact that you get these kind of multiple scenes that are all doing kind of the same thing like person gets haunted by a scary man person gets haunted by a scary man and oh, again oh the thing that annoys me was you know scary man goes to all the problem all the trouble of releasing a scary woman then they go to work together and the scary man just scares people on his own so again. True. <laughs> it's so, true. <laughs> so, so yeah odd. i think what you're saying about compartmentalizing it is is huge actually because it, it's what it's doing is it's limiting the amount of character development it can do because it's like it's it by putting the characters in these separate locations these separate scenes we can by definition we've got less time to spend with each one mm. whereas if we if we folded them all together and 
did the ca- and and fed all that character stuff into the same mm. thing. It would be more efficient. The the, the thing I was going to say is that is something I said last week that has been playing on my mind all week, and I haven't had to stop thinking about it. Which is that at this point in Amy's run, we were halfway through series six in mm. the Good Man Goes to War or Let's Go Hitler or something like that. Um, at this point in Rose's run, we were halfway through series two. I mean, it's astonishing that we're at the same point with these characters and they still feel new. It's mm. like it's cr- it's like when I realized that, it just blew my mind that we we're at the same point now that Amy was and Rory was halfway through series six. It's just, it really demonstrates how much this, yeah, this siloing of the characters has, has slowed everything down it's very and made them seem new for, for, for a year and a half. Yeah, it's very odd, the siloing. It, siloing is a good word, actually, for, for it. It's, mm. you know... It's very odd because bring it, bring on free ca- free companions. Surely the reason you do that is because there's some pleasure in them interacting in the four main characters interacting. In that character dynamic, know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, lots of people talk about how it's hard to develop free companion teams, and yeah, it's harder than two people. But you know, sitcoms, twenty five minute sitcoms so manage true. manage four like distinct characters reacting to a distinct situation. But to who manages it in series one with, with Jackie Tyler and Mickey Smith and or Rose even, Tyler. Or even with Rose, the Doctor and Captain Jack. Or yeah. you know, um, yeah. or the Doctor Amy and Rory. Just lots of lots of examples. Doctor Amy Rory River. Yeah, lots of lots of examples of this stuff, but but we bring on four characters and then sort of dole them out to separate storylines. It just and those storylines don't impact them particularly. Like yeah. it's not like this Yaz problem, which I think is beautifully done, but it doesn't really affect, for instance, like Yaz's decision to stay on the target. No, you can not. move it around. It's like last year with um, "It Takes You Away," that was moved from mm. earlier in the season or later in the season. Ooh. Yeah, and it's like well, it couldn't have been later. Um, yeah, earlier in the season then. But you shouldn't be able to move episodes that were meant to be after the granddad thing to before. And for the relationships to look exactly the same. Oh, I've just ha- I've just had a thought. D- we, you know, the fact that Yaz is, you know, sort of saved from a dark moment by a policeman, by a police, a police, wo- police mm. officer, I should mm. say. And that's her inspiration. But now she travels in something called a police box. Yeah, yeah. I think and nothing is made of that connection. No. <laughs> quite a lot of Chibnall stuff. I feel like it is rigorously like workshopped and worked out. Like all of these individual companions are really thought through things like that individually but, yeah individually they're all really thought through like Yaz as a policewoman who travels in a police box a person who wants to like run away from everything to get away from all the the horrible stuff at home but it's siloed I mean imagine series five and six if they'd gone okay we've got these characters Amy Rory River what mm. are we going to do with each of them well, they, well, which they, is not what they did well, they, they went start, well, we've got a story and well Amy and Rory start off separate and the doctor brings them together like that's that's the whole True. arc of series 5 True. or you could do what any like US show does like when they have those 22 episode ridiculously long sci-fi channel seasons where it's like you have an episode focused on a character like you were saying like if mm. this had been Torchwood, a Yaz episode Torchwood done, did yeah. You know, yeah or last series that would have really benefited from it like Kerblam could have been a Ryan episode mm. or something mm-hmm. yeah Come across, come across awfully negative in this last. No, I think I think no, I think what we've done is really pick out what we liked about it and what and what made us what put the fog over that in a mm. way. Do you know what I mean? There was a fog over the things we liked about it, and we've worked out why. Yeah, I, well, I hope so. You know, uh, there are only three episodes to go. In that's Doctor true. Series twelve, <laughs> and three of them have bad titles. Well, 
Well, we've got. What Mary- are they called? What's the next one called? The, the haunting of Via Diodotti. The Battle of Via Diodotti. <laughs> the Battle of Via Avranskoi. <laughs> <laughs> is I, I take it that Via Diodotti is a real place. That's where they actually had the the sit down got and the you. ghost story competition. Are they going to show Mary Shelley shagging on a gravestone? Because she famously did that. She did that, yeah, yeah. on her mother's gravestone. Pre-watershed. <laughs> that might be. That might be a bit strong. Um, shagging yeah. a grave. Shagging a grave. Shagging a grave. Shagging a. <laughs> Shag on a grave. Can you make this the start of the episode? Shag on a grave. Shag on a grave. We should end the podcast now. Do you think there's going to be any mention of the fact that the doctor erased the mind of Lord Byron's daughter? Oh. Oh, Oh, damn. Hadn't thought of that. (laughs) And is his mind going to be erased? Oh, wow. The the doctor's relationships to to all of this are messed up as. The villa inhabitants' relationships to do each rec- other. Do you reckon they'll portray Lord Byron as being like a, a chauvinist? I mean, wasn't he? Well, yeah, but do you reckon <laughs> they'll big that part of it up? I feel like they might. I hope they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. Um, what did the last two episodes called? They're called like the last one's called the Timeless Children and oh, like Ascension of the Cybermen. Yes, that's I, it. I, I really hate Ascension of the Cybermen. It's awful. <laughs> it's like it's ri- it's Rise of the Cybermen with a thesaurus. Yeah. Actually, I'd I'd, w- I'd watch Thesaurus of the Cybermen. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Dictionary of the Daleks. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's going to be fine, everyone. The rest of the series is going to be fine. I still think that this We're episode be okay. was like, this was probably my fourth favorite episode of the Chibnall era. Like, despite everything I've said about this, like, I actually really did enjoy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, this It's on an upswing. Yeah, I mean, uh, this the series has been improving, but I've yet to see... We've yet to we've yet to have an episode in this series as bad as the Battle of Radio Four Extra. But we're also yet to have one as good as it takes you away. Or so demons. Uh, yes, or demons of the mm. Punjab. Still one of my favorite right. episodes of all time. Yeah, like it's sort of sort of we're we're now at like a very we're now we're now sort of having yo-yoed between like an A and a D for all of series eleven. We're Galactic now yo-yoed. Solidly, solidly at a C, you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's hard to say what I prefer. Mm-hmm. And and I d- and the child in me just loves watching something like *Fugitive of the Jadoon That's so thrilling, and and breakneck, and yeah, it might ambitious. not really mean anything, but it's but it's ambitious and it's and it's exciting, and it made me gasp and it made me, I don't know, and it I thrilled g- you. and it yeah. thrilled me, and that is actually, that's what you know, that's why I watched *Doctor Who* for at the end mm. of the day. Um, do you know those things where like I'll, re- I'll rewatch that more than I'll wa- rewatch something like Demons of the Punjab as, as brilliant as it oh, was. Oh, I love that so much. I, I absolutely love Demons of the Punjab, but I, I would rather rewatch something like Fugitive. I, I sort of prefer the weird, uh, the weird messiness. I say this as like the perennial series seven defender. Oh no, like I, I and love I agree. Yeah. Being all over the place in terms of quality, I mm. think it's much more generative and interesting. Mm. So I think series eleven, for all that, I don't think it's as good as series twelve so far. I f- suspect I'll return to it a lot more. I feel like it's like those pictures, I don't know if you've ever seen, where it's like there are two sort of photos that are completely unintelligible. They look like nonsense. And if you overlay them on top of each other, it turns into a proper photo, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you interpolate them. Mm. That's what series 11 and 12 feel like to me. Like if you put them together, they come up with like the perfect Doctor Who season. But it's almost like the flaws of each are kind of like corrected in the other. Like Mm. what series 12 is missing, I think, is what series 11 absolutely has, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. 
So we're never happy, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course not. We're Doctor <laughs> Who fans. Great. Thank you so much for <laughs> talking to me, Max. Thank you so much for talking to me, Will. My pleasure. Thanks it's for been having great. us. And thank you for the lovely um, carrot curry <laughs> that we ate before we recorded. Yes. Um, yeah, this, uh, my veggie Rogan Josh. I'll give you the recipe uh, off air if you want. Thank you. That's kind. <laughs> um, and thank you for coming all the way from Cambridge, Max. Yeah, no problem. Where can people find you on Twitter, Max? Uh, I'm at, at Max C. Curtis, which is two C's. Great. Uh, you can find Will at? Uh, at Will underscore S underscore seven on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and um, com for my blog. Anything you guys want to plug? Well, I've got my, um, this April, I've got my uh, my Black Archive coming uh, coming out. Um, uh, it'll be the Black Archive number 42. Hey, Douglas Adams. Uh, on the Rings of Action. Chris <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, isn't that isn't that dog two in a nutshell? <laughs> Douglas Adams and Chris Chibnall. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be a book about uh, the Rings of Akaten and post-colonial theory and new atheism and why Clara Oswald is the best companion. So you, that will be available in April from Obverse Books. Anything you want to plug, Max? Yeah, um, I mean, last year I had a Doctor Who story that was also about the trauma of cancer. So if you're into <laughs> that... Um, a, a superb story, I might add. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, called Still Life. If you're interested or want to update the TARDIS wiki page, which is almost empty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you should be honoured that the people who li- who update TARDIS wiki haven't updated, uh, haven't listened to your story because uh, they're the wrong audience. <laughs> um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Molly underscore Martian and you can come and see my show, This Poo Shall Pass, uh, which is on... Um, in Waterloo on the 29th of February and the 1st of March. Uh, I'll put the link in the description again. Um, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at GalaxiaPod. And you can email the podcast. This list of things to do is getting longer and longer <laughs> at the end of every episode. Uh, and you can email the podcast at GalaxiaPod at gmail.com. Uh, uh, I'll see you guys again next week. Bye bye, everybody. Bye bye.